Attention, everyone. This is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the deck. Hello and welcome to episode 245 of the Kaiju Cast, a podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the first episode of September 2018, and a very special episode in which I am on stage with several of my co-hosts at Rose City Comic Con, the convention that happened just last weekend. Like, we aren't even really at the next weekend yet. And when I say we, that's because joining me here... Not in the studio, but through the magic of FaceTime, we have Gretchen. Hi. <laughs> For some reason, because we're doing this remotely, I want to say, welcome back to the Kaiju cast. <laughs> like, right. it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, so Gretchen is here because she was on the panel with us, and we sort of went over time. And that was not planned, and unfortunately, Gretchen was the last of us to go. So sorry. Okay. Sorry about that. But we were going chronologically, and uh, I... I'm actually hoping to use this as an opportunity to not only hear your tale of the the movie uh, that didn't get made, which people will find out in a second what's going on in this episode, but uh, also sort of as a conclusionary aspect, because I didn't even get to wrap up the panel. It was basically like, oh, we got to go. Adios, everybody. So. Oh, yeah. They were flashing the 10 minute, and then they kept flashing that five minute. I'm like looking around going, oh, man. <laughs> You know what's funny? I didn't even see them. Like you oh, guys saw I them, see and them. I could like, not at all. View. So I wish I had. I wish I had paid a little more attention to that. I was just too engrossed in my beautiful, beautiful presentation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the good thing is nobody needs to see that. There was really nothing that we didn't explain in the presentation. So you're gonna get the chance right now, listeners, to hear us talk about how Godzilla got his groove back. And uh, hopefully I explain why that's the title of the actual panel uh, from <laughs> Rose City Comic Con 2018. Hey, I'm Kyle. I run the Kaiju Cast. Who here is familiar with the Giant Monster Podcast that's been going on for almost 10 years? The Kaiju Cast! Yay! If you are not familiar with it, these are my co-hosts. Rachel. Hi. Jeff. What up? Gretchen. Hi. And Dave. Hi, everybody. Amongst some others that aren't here right now, but basically we wanted to come here and uh, give you guys some cool information about giant monsters, specifically how Godzilla got his groove back. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting panel because I finished the presentation portion of it maybe about five minutes ago. So. <laughs> uh, but hey, I think I've done that before. <laughs> So when, we talk, when I talk about Godzilla and his groove, basically, this is a, <laughs> I have to come up with stupid panel names to bring people in, right? So how many people here were suckered by the, by the name alone? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Hey. 
Strong work. Thank Mr. you for Young. lying. For that. Anyway, so and I was like, oh, you know, we'll talk about you know how Godzilla had his three eras, you know, because there basically have been the Showa era, the Heisei era, and the Millennium era, era, and then now there's something else happening in Japan and in America, and we're going to talk about him getting out of those grooves, those you know popular grooves of making the movies, and then what happened in between those periods. Uh, like I said before, this is the Kaiju Cast. This is, I believe, episode 245 of the Kaiju Cast, a giant monster podcast dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber suit Here's my cool co hosts. Uh, let everybody say a little bit about themselves. <laughs> Rachel loves baby Kaiju. I do. And critters. And critters. <laughs> Jeff, uh, I'm not going to say he's a Mothra fan because I think he's tired of me saying that. Now people associate him with Mothra. Because I'm very much like a cute little moth, right? You are so cute. Yeah. <laughs> so cute. And then Gretchen yeah. recently joined the podcast. Yeah, about a year and a half ago. Gretchen's my, uh, my yokai partner. We like are basically planning all sorts of yokai stuff for both podcast-related reasons and non-podcast-related reasons. Birthday parties. Birthday parties. Yeah. <laughs> Singing telegrams. Mm -hmm. Anything else I can think of in the next five seconds. But, and then, Cookies. of course, there's Dave at the end there. Dave Helfrey has been with us for a little while. Hey, everybody. Say hi. Tell people what you what you do these days. Uh, I'm the I'm the comedy relief on the podcast. I'm the guy who knows the least about Godzilla, but can crack wise. So you know, everybody, so everybody, has everybody a job. needs one of those on their podcast. <laughs> okay. So what I what I said earlier is true. We're going to talk about Godzilla. We're going to talk about uh, the the periods that he was active and inactive in a sense. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the cool stuff that we discovered while we were doing the research for this podcast. Uh, so let's go ahead and start with the beginning. You got to start with the 1950s. Godzilla 1954 came out. And then immediately after, Toho was like, whoa, we made a lot of money on this. We should probably make another one. They did not hesitate at all. So Godzilla Raids again came out in 1955. We're going to be looking at how much these movies made in a sense. We're not going to be talking about dollars or yen. We're going to be talking about the amount of tickets sold, which I know seems very, very dry. But I promise there's a correlation that makes sense. Uh, so the very first movie, 9.6 million. Huge hit. Remember that. That's the first impact that Godzilla had, 9.6 million. Of course, we continue after the break Toho was like sort of making 1954 through 19... I don't know, 61, 62, basically. They were sort of making their own monster movies that weren't Godzilla movies. But then they brought Godzilla back in 62. So you, this is where you get the real classics. King Kong versus Godzilla. Godzilla versus The Thing. Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster. Astro Monster. Uh, and then these made quite a bit of money. King Kong versus Godzilla was extremely lucrative for Toho. Uh, Toho, for those that don't know, is the company that makes Godzilla movies. Um, but, you know, the, that was a very high number that just declined immediately afterwards. Picture stop. Yeah, was <laughs> <laughs> the second part. half of the 60s, you saw a little bit of a decline in those again. So each, each movie almost gets less and less. It's kind of a disappointment here. If you look, Destroy All Monsters, which is that next third poster in the thing there, which says 2.5 million, only got 0.1 million more tickets sold than Son of Godzilla. That was a travesty. 
Yeah. I know. That's insane. I know. It's terrible. Mm -hmm. So things were not really looking so great for the King of the Monsters. The 70s definitely, definitely did not help things out. Uh, if anybody knows, basically TVs became extremely available in Japan and Toho uh, lost a lot of people and had to fire a bunch of people because of the amount of money they were not getting. All these ticket sales actually translate all across the board too, right? So not just with giant monster movies. Ticket sales were down everywhere. That chart, uh, these numbers were put together by my buddy Keith Foster who actually is a statistician, it's a hobby. So things were not looking good for the giant monsters. So in 1975, which is this last movie, right? The least amount of tickets sold for Godzilla ever in Terror of Mechagodzilla, which had the three, like it had uh, Ishiro Honda was directing, uh, Kira Ifukube came back and they, I think there was another person as well that was like, they sort of were like trying to make it a big hurrah and it just didn't perform, unfortunately. So we have a theory there's like sort of a fan theory about why this happened. Uh, obviously ticket sales is the number one spot there. But if you are familiar, in 1969, uh, Toei, which is another studio, they started a manga film festival in Japan called the Toei Manga Matsuri. And Toho, uh, you know, was a rival film company. They just said, wait a second, you, we gotta get a part of this, right? So we gotta, take our own thing, they created the Toho Champion Matsuri festivals, right? So basically, spring, summer, and winter breaks in Japan, they would put on these festivals just to get kids to come in. Just like when you guys were probably kids and you went to go see matinees at the theater, same kind of thing. As you see here, in 1969, Toho actually debuted All Monsters Attack like for this, they didn't even do, put it in like a regular circulation, they just went straight to the film festival, to the Kitty Film Festival. And then they also had like a, uh, like uh, I don't know what that is, that space adventure thing, but then they had, a, had some anime, so these are like sports animated films. Uh, and it was sort of a big deal, you know, Tohei, Toei had their stuff, Toho had their stuff, and it, they really wanted to bring in the money as it were. And if you look back at those movies, right, so 69, 71, 72, 73, 74, and 75, all of those Godzilla movies that came out in those years, they debuted at this Champion Matsuri Film Festival. They even brought back older stuff, so like this one here on the right is Son of Godzilla being featured with like Ultraman Taro and Mirror Mask and some other stuff. That came out in 73, so they re they edit these films and then release them as part of the film festival. So, <clears throat> Then in 1976, like you'll note, 1975 was the last Godzilla movie of this old era, the Showa era. 1976, Toho entered a lucrative deal with Disney where they were able to distribute these animated Disney films in their film festivals, and that was the last Godzilla movie ever made in the 1970s. So, you know, the Champion Matsuri Film Festival, very well could have been killed by the mouse. <laughs> uh, so what happened, right? So like Godzilla's gone, they're not making one in 1976. Is there just nothing happening in, with Godzilla? There are things happening, they're just sort of behind the scenes. 
So Tomiyuki Tanaka, he loved Godzilla, produced every Godzilla movie from the 1954 film through his death in, the, in 1990, I think he, he died in 98, but basically he produced the last Godzilla movie in 1995, which was Godzilla vs. Destroya. He got a think tank together called the Godzilla Revival Meeting, February 4th, 1978, and he wanted to come up with cool ideas for new Godzilla movies. Tomiyuki Tanaka did not want Godzilla to go away. That's his, like, bread and butter. Tanaka was the kind of guy who would be like, hey, what you got here? Ooh, that's a good-looking movie concept. Uh, let's put a giant monster in it. Make it. <laughs> so I'm kind of, I'm not really kidding. If anybody's ever seen, like, Dogura, the space monster, it's like a diamond heist movie where they throw a monster in it. You know, Gorath is a, is a space meteor crashing to Earth movie, but there's a giant walrus in it called Magma. And that's, that was Tanaka's sort of thing. He would do that. But, so he loved Godzilla, really loved Godzilla, wanted it to keep going. So he brought these people together. And so the think tank included Yoshimitsu Bano, who is the director of Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. And I'm just going to say, if anybody knows the history of Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, Bano was apparently dressed down and yelled at by Tomiyuki Tanaka, who told him he would never work in on a Godzilla film again. And uh, unfortunately, it looks like that was the case. But he, he must have been so desperate that he brought Bano in for this, in addition to some other people, uh, some, someone from Toho, and then some critics from Tokyo Shimbun and Yomori Shimbun. And basically, this meeting came out with some really interesting really crazy ideas. <laughs> we're going to talk about a couple of them right now. Uh, some of them were a, a remake of the 1954 film, which is actually what I think Toho should do now. I think that would be a really poignant thing for them to do at this moment in their lives. Uh, the Bride of Godzilla Returns. Did you even know there was a Bride of Godzilla to return? <laughs> Godzilla, God's <laughs> angry messenger. Tokyo SOS, Godzilla's suicide strategy. And Godzilla Resurrected. These are just a handful of the titles. And we are going to start by sharing some of this information. We're going to talk about The Bride of Godzilla Returns. Godzilla 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so in um, their meeting, what they talked about was there was an original script that was written in the 50s um, called The Bride of Godzilla, and this is, once again, like Tanaka likes to do, he looked at that script and went, let's do that, except it was already a Godzilla movie that they were looking at. Um, and the writer for The War in Space, if anybody's familiar with that, it was kind of a Star Wars knockoff in the 70s that's super bizarre and pretty terrible, but fun to watch. Um, that writer was part of the meeting, and he, he told them to look, let's look at the Bride of Godzilla script in which we want to adapt it for the Bride of Godzilla Returns. Um, there's just tons of bizarre ideas that they threw into this movie. Um, it kind of starts with there's um, a doctor, uh, Shida, that goes to this island. Um, it's a remote island with an underground kingdom um, of all different, you know, it's got its own ecosystem and it's got a volcano underground and they. Um, they go together with, the, in the original one, it's a robot daughter, isn't that right? And yeah, the scientist creates a daughter 
foster yeah. daughter is um, the name of it, but it's like, it's also a robot. Exactly. They, they bail on the robot part of that idea because they do something else with that here uh, with, in their idea talking. Um, and they decide that they want um, everyone to be plagued with giant fleas. So if you guys have ever seen um, Cloverfield or they've done it in some of the Godzilla movies where they have fleas like crawling all over the giant monsters and then they end up attacking everybody and attacking the people and they're kind of small monsters in themselves. Um, that was part of this idea. Um, they have a mysterious set of vampiric killings um, in a subway system. So again, the subway system is kind of in Cloverfield too, where they have the giant, or smaller bugs attacking everybody, but they're giant compared to regular bugs. Um, and uh, they, um, let's see here. They end up having, um, instead of the giant robot daughter, they decide to make a female version of Mechagodzilla, oh, which would be amazing. And I still think <laughs> they should do that. That is a good idea. Out of this. <laughs> Only it's like, it's like, as long as she's like Mazinger Z style. Like, yeah, oh, that'd right. be very cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly where my yeah. work right is. And... Then they have that Godzilla is searching for his mate, um, is what they find out, and so they are trying to send the female version of Mechagodzilla to Godzilla to distract him. Um, they have a robot that, um, well, actually, the female Godzilla ends up de detonating in Tokyo Bay, killing Godzilla is what how they decide to kill off Godzilla in that. Um, there's also a, of course, a Bermuda Triangle kind of set up in the ocean near the underground ecosystem there. And um, it's, let's see here, they end up, I would say they're investigating that area. And then it, there's so many bizarre things that happen. I'm trying to just pick the highlights because it's so crazy. I thought the um, weirdest part about the, the difference, right? But so like if you guys can imagine, it, it, right after the, Amer the original Godzilla comes out, Toho's like, oh, let's do the Bride of Godzilla. Somebody creates this, this concept. And the Tanaka saw this concept, which some of Rachel's explaining, which was so nuts. The fact that there's a humanoid robot that Godzilla sort of falls in love with, that they use that to destroy him. And there are mermaids, and it's oh, an yeah, underground cavern, and Angulus is there. It's like, they said, oh, well, we made Angulus for the last movie. We've got a Godzilla suit. Let's just throw those guys in there again. And, like, mermaids? Mermaids are not what I consider to be, like, plausible science fiction, generally speaking. Like, I know we sometimes Godzilla people totally think is, Godzilla's yeah. more fantasy than, than uh, science fiction, and I guess I would agree with that, but having mermaids, and then he, he wanted to bring them back in the 70s. That's like, the yeah. stuff that he thought in the 1970s, yeah, yeah, we could still do this. That's what drives me kind of crazy about this concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to think that you look at that and go, yeah, we're going to pull the mermaids out of the first one. Like, I, <laughs> why is that the good idea you hold on to? Now, the female Mechagodzilla I'm into, but yeah, it's just, it's wild. Um, they, there is a point where in, that the, um, that they create another draft of this film, and in the new draft, they have Godzilla and his son in it, and they're frozen in ice together in the Arctic. Um, and a couple of 
people vacationing in a yacht come across the island where um, they're frozen in the ice and they get sucked into some vortex and then the mermaids show up and save them and so they're still sticking with the mermaids in this draft. You gotta love the mermaids. Um, the mermaids actually end up rescuing the couples from the giant fleas that are still, still have the giant fleas in the next draft. Um, and when they escape to Tokyo, um, after getting rescued from the mermaids, everybody just laughs at them because mermaids are ridiculous, even in the script itself. Uh, and, and then... I think this movie would have been awesome. And then Godzilla, of course, um, starts... Uh, he comes out and he emerges from the ice and he attacks Tokyo. And then... Then the fe- then there's a, f- a real female Godzilla in the third script rather than a Mecha Godzilla female. They go with a real female, which I want to see that. They still haven't done a female Godzilla. Um, and and then the military decides to destroy um, the female Godzilla because it turns out she attacked a military base in Guam, and so they like of do. course destroy her. And Godzilla goes after her, but they end up nuking both Godzilla and the female Godzilla. But the good news is that in the end, the mermaids escape. <laughs> so, go so, mermaids. So would you have liked to see a 70s version of that film? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I'm in. I'm sold. So, so that 70s <laughs> version, right? So you said he took the, the writer, created three different drafts, and each mm-hmm. draft had different stuff in it. I, I keep hoping that someday somebody's going to just be possessed by the ghost of Tomiyuki Tanaka and take those three drafts and say, actually, this works. We can make this work. <laughs> and create a new Godzilla. Mm-hmm. The new bride of Godzilla. <laughs> Extra disco. Sure, right, sure, right. sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, so the next film, one of the next films, some of these you've got to understand were just literally like story treatments, uh, but they were things that Toho actively was interested in pursuing and for one reason or another, most likely money, they said no. Uh, so, in 1973, Godzilla vs. Megalon came out, right? This is the second movie that has Gigan. If you're familiar with Gigan, good old banana hands, uh, he, he, he showed up in 72 for Godzilla vs. Gigan, and then in 73 he showed up for Megalon, and then the, they must have really liked the design of Gigan, because they included him in this following treatment that they continued to work on from 73 to 78. Um, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but basically Godzilla and Gigan are going to fight, and then there's a new monster that the aliens have. It's another alien invasion story. The aliens come out with Camelagon. He's now, so cute. Camelagon in this picture <laughs> is actually from Mirror Man because apparently the same guy who wrote this treatment also worked on Mirror Man. Who knows which came first <laughs> in terms of where the, his, uh, his duties lie. But basically, Camelagon is invisible to humans. But Godzilla can sense Camelagon. And so at this point in Godzilla's life, he's a human hero. Not a human hero. He's a monster hero. And so... He, uh, Gigan shows up and Camelagon shows up. Godzilla attacks Camelagon, but it just looks like to humans, it looks like Godzilla's attacking the city. So everybody's like, what? Godzilla's our enemy again. So they throw in some uh, military attacks. The military blind Godzilla with uh, some chemical weapons, and he has to learn how to find Camelagon now uh, with, with sort of like his other senses, right? 
At this time in the 70s, does anybody know what one of the biggest properties was in Japan on TV and in movies? Anybody ever seen Zatoichi, the blind swordsman? Ah. Ooh, nobody's seen Zatoichi in here. What? Okay, Ooh. really? Zatoichi is, uh, I think, from. Ooh, please don't quote me on this. I think it's from Daie, which is the company that made the Gamera movies. Anyway, Zatoichi is a blind swordsman. He's completely blind, walking around in, I'm guessing, pre-Edo era Japan, essentially holding his own and kicking a lot of butt. And it was so popular that in 1973's Godzilla vs. Megalon, there's a scene that they shot that never made it into the movie where Godzilla, this is a picture of him, brings up a tree... Shoves off, like strips off all the all the uh, all the branches and holds it like a samurai sword and puts a telephone pole in his mouth like a like a like a Zatuichi's um, like a yeah like a toothpick a yeah I think it's a toothpick anyway yeah. so Toho was not shy at all about hitting the cultural norms of the time anyway I just thought that was super interesting. Godzilla as Zatuichi for uh, Tokyo SOS Godzilla's suicide strategy. Uh, this is my turn for this one. Okay, so 1980, this is when Tomiyuki Tanaka really put the pedal to the metal at trying to get Godzilla back. He knew that Toho, like uh, one of their anniversaries was coming up, their 30th anniversary, 40th anniversary, something like that. Maybe it was the 25th, 35th. I don't remember. I don't have it written down. It but basically, uh, he wanted to bring Godzilla back. And so he's coming up with all these ideas. He's taking story ideas from that meeting and plugging them in. Uh, the monster that he's fighting is called Bagan. And Bagan, if you are a Godzilla fan who has been on the internet for anywhere more than like five years, you've probably <laughs> seen the name Bagan repeated over and over again. In fact, it's one of the things that actually kind of bothered me about online fandom is like there's all these people who are like freaking out about this monster called Bagan, and they always want to see him. When are we going to see Bagan? When are we going to see Bagan? And I never really understood it until I started doing research for this panel. In, two, uh, in 1980, this treatment came out where uh, Bagan attacks, and Bagan is basically a dragon kaiju and an ape kaiju and a water kaiju, and they morph together. And people must have loved the idea, fans must have loved the idea, because the, the name, the creature, to a sense, stuck around. And I'm not going to go into the whole details about uh, Godzilla Resurrection, because <laughs> Bagan, or Bagan as some people call him, morphed. He then got pulled into some other potential ideas, right? So later on, when they're like making movies for the 90s, they keep bringing back this idea, bringing back Bagan. And at one point they've got him fighting Mothra, at one point they've got Godzilla fighting him, and eventually they, he was used in a video game, I think Super Godzilla? Anyway, oh, I'm not a video game one. guy. <laughs> but uh, Bagan is so, so popular, and he's sort of evolved even in this weird, like, proto version, right? So he's like, he's like a proto monster. He doesn't actually exist in a film, but they keep teasing him. They keep trying to bring him back and it never works. And so there are people who've been fans of Godzilla from back in like the early, early 90s, I'd say, the 80s probably actually, who are, who are just like, 
oh my God, Toho, please give us a Boggin movie, please. <laughs> However, they did bring back the fleas from uh, Bride no of Godzilla. just fleas. And then, of course, if anybody's seen Godzilla 1985 or, you know, Return of Godzilla, they actually had not a flea, but a sea louse, which attacks somebody that was on Godzilla. So it's a big sea louse. I saw that when I was a kid. I actually thought it was scary. But now I watch it. I'm like, wow, that is not scary. <laughs> um, but uh, the sea louse isn't just in here. You know, they, they have them in several different, different uh, scripts. Also at that time, between 1975 and 1984, right, so this is the break, America was doing stuff with Godzilla. I should have had it in this uh, presentation, but who is familiar with the Shogun Warriors Godzilla figures, right? Uh, anybody read the Godzilla King of the Monsters comic book from Marvel? Mm -hmm. All right, so basically, America had a license to do stuff with Godzilla. And there was specifically a movie that Jeff wants to talk about that was produced, or not produced, but proposed in 1983. Yeah, nearly made. Um, so as we know, you know, there was no Godzilla movie um, made in America yet, but there was a young filmmaker named Steve Miner who um, up to this point had made two movies, Friday the 13th Part 2 and Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. He was a big Godzilla fan. He went to Toho with the idea of like, I want to make a Godzilla movie in 3D. They said, yes, this guy made a 3D movie, so they gave him their blessing. So Miner hired a uh, freshly out of film school student named Fred Decker, 22 years old, had no credits to his name, to pen a script. Um, Decker wrote a script in about two weeks. Um, Miner liked it, and I'm gonna give you a rundown of basically what happens in this script. Basically, a satellite carrying a nuclear missile is struck by a meteor, and it accidentally launches a warhead that awakens Godzilla and its offspring. Um, Baby G is swimming around, tangles with a nuclear submarine, nuclear. and is um, killed in the process. Um, a U.S. Navy colonel uh, recovers the nukes and the dead baby and brings him back to America. The colonel has a son named Kevin who becomes obsessed with this dead baby, dead dinosaur, they think. Um, Godzilla comes ashore in San Francisco, wrecks havoc, and in the meanwhile, a Russian agent comes to America looking to retrieve the uh, nuclear weapons. Um, the climax of the script basically has the colonel and his son in a helicopter luring Godzilla out to sea. Kevin shoots a, a nuke down Godzilla's throat and kills him. But the helicopter has some malfunction and Kevin falls out of the helicopter and Godzilla catches and saves Kevin. Aww. How sweet. <laughs> um, there's a lot of criticisms from Godzilla fans who have read the script that there's, it's not Godzilla enough and it's too much like a James Bond kind of spy adventure. But um, Miner took this script and went to all the major Hollywood studios. Um, but before he did that, he actually contacted uh, William Stout, who's a fantastic artist, and uh, got Stout involved, and Stout did a lot of uh, concept art and actually built a maquette of uh, 
Sorry, that's the maquette, sorry. Yeah, of Godzilla. And um, then he went to uh, Rick Baker and ILM to ask, how can we do this movie and how much is it going to cost? Because they did not want to have a man in the suit. They were going to do stop motion animation. Um, and they came back with a budget of $30 million. So he goes to all the studios, and no studio wants to bankroll this movie for $30 million. Now, $30 like million. Dollars, $30 million. Yeah, so yeah. like... Lots. To give you a little bit of perspective, $30 million in 1983, Return of the Jedi was made for $30 million. Aliens was made a couple years later for 18, Gremlins for $11 million. So $30 million was a top amount for a big, big blockbuster. And the studios were like, you know, who is Steve Miner? <laughs> All he had made were, were two low-budget um, slasher movies at that time. And so uh, most of the studios passed. Universal said, we'll make it for 15. Um, Miner said like, okay, we'll cut the 3D out. But even that, they decided, oh, we're not gonna make this for $15 million. Um, There's you know, rumors that he and Decker were gonna rewrite the script to make it more you know, budget worthy, but that never happened. Um, but it was fairly close to going in production because Variety, which is an entertainment publication, um, has a couple of different articles about the film and that, it's, that Universal is interested that ran like in the summer of 1984. But that was soon killed um, when nobody would bankroll the movie at all. And if you look at like the concept art that William Stout did, um, you can tell it's a very, very high budget uh, film. Um, go back to the picture of the maquette. Uh, you can see Godzilla, um, because Stout was very, very uh, famous for doing a lot of dinosaur illustrations. And you can tell by the look of Godzilla here, his head looks very, very much like a T-Rex. Um, so it's kind of interesting. But it was kind of interesting that they were going to do that in stop motion with no man in a suit. It what do you guys think? Stop motion, you think that would have worked in 1984? Yeah. Well, I think that was probably the most reliable method that they could even think of back then. Jeff, when did The Gate come out? The Gate is like 86, 87. So that's yeah. kind of what, what stop motion animation was looking like at that, per, at that point in yeah. time. Well, especially that kind of budget. Yeah, yeah I think it would have looked awful. Like the compositing would be wacky. Yeah. And there was an interview with Fred Decker many, many years later talking about the Godzilla script. And, and he even admits that he was never a big fan of Godzilla, but he loved Ray Harryhausen. So he was kind of trying to make like basically, you know, beast of 20,000 fathoms. And the plot's very much like Gorgo. So you can tell it's like why they had a guy who didn't really care about Godzilla. <laughs> You know, Unfortunately, that just seems to be the case with American Godzilla movies for the most part. Not, not with everybody. We all know Gareth Edwards says he loves Godzilla movies. Yeah. Uh, and basically, yeah. you know, Miner and Decker would go on to do many more things. Miner, you know, would do House, Warlock, so Lake Placid, Halloween H2O, a lot of genre films. And Fred Decker was the director and writer of Monster Squad and Night of the Creeps. And uh, he's also the writer of the new Predator movie coming out in a couple of weeks. Oh, no kidding. So it makes me wonder if they would, now with the history that he has with the different films, if they would be willing to give it to him if he brought the script today, especially at $30 million today. <laughs> well, now it would probably be $200 million. Yeah, I know, no exactly. <laughs> 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 he wouldn't pull it off. 
I'm going to propose a $10 million Godzilla movie. Right. Where we just have puppets. <laughs> <laughs> the most expensive hand puppets money can buy. <laughs> all right, so uh, as we all know, the Japanese got back into the Godzilla groove and produced the 1984 Godzilla Returns, which was brought over to America as Godzilla 1985. And then several years later, they put out Godzilla versus Biollante. Those movies. Tickets sold-wise, did pretty well. 3.2 million for the uh, revival film, Godzilla 1985. Uh, they wanted, they, first up, they want all of these movies to perform better than they do. But uh, they were disappointed that it only made, it only sold two million seats. From 1989 to 1991, there was just like a little break where they were trying to make some movies. We're not gonna talk about any of those right now, but uh, just to keep going with the Godzilla series, then you had the, the next part, right, where in 91, 2, 3, 4, and 5, they just did consecutive Godzilla movie after Godzilla movie. King Ghidra, Mothra, Mechagodzilla, Space Godzilla, and Destroya. Uh, here's the numbers they made there. You know, respectable number, 2.7 million at the time for Godzilla versus King Ghidra. You know, that was when Toho was basically like, hey, let's bring back this old villain and see how it does. And compared to the previous film, it did well. Then they brought back another classic, Mothra, and Mothra did gangbusters comparatively. <laughs> Again, we're still only talking about 4.2 million tickets sold. Uh, Mechagodzilla 3.8, Space Godzilla miraculously 3.4 million, and then uh, 4 million for Destroya. So this one goes sort of against what I would normally assume, where it's the ticket sales that are driving the death of the series. But they made a huge, Toho made a huge deal of the last film, Godzilla vs. Destroya, being sort of like Godzilla dying and the, sort of like the end of the era. And so the reason that they were doing that. I think is because at the exact same time in the 90s in America, more wheels were in motion to get Godzilla on American screens. Dave? Yes. So um, <laughs> let's jump ahead. The, 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 uh, the Devil and Emmerich movie, that was 1998, right? Yeah. Seven. Oh, 97, okay. How many Wait, of you guys. It was 98, sorry about How many, like the. The Devlin Emmerich Godzilla movies. How many of you guys like that movie? Get out. Are you talking about rolling? I'm going. I am going yeah, to make you so sad yeah. now because I'm going to tell you the story about how that came about and the movie that could have happened instead. All right. So well, there's a little background. There's a guy named Harry Saperstein. Okay, and since like the 1960s, Saperstein was the president of this group called the United UPA. United Productions of America, all right? And he's been, he loves Godzilla. He thinks Godzilla's a great franchise, a great character. He's been trying to get a, a, a Godzilla movie over from American studios, lobbying for that for decades, all right? And finally, at the beginning of the 90s, Toho's like, awesome, let's do it, okay? Saperstein gets his dream come true. Sony wins the rights, okay. Sony makes this sweetheart deal to Toho. They're like, we're gonna give you a bunch of money for the production rights, we're gonna give you a bunch of money on the back end, you guys get to keep making as many Godzilla movies as you want to, 
while we have these rights, which we just talked about, the 90s you know, Godzilla movies, and once our movie is done, you get exclusive distribution rights and everything in Japan. And so this was a no-brainer for Toho. They were going to hand these rights over to Sony, and, they were, and Toho was just gonna, it was just gonna be a money, it was supposed to just be, they were just gonna be printing cash. You know, it was, it was gonna be great. Toho had no reason to say no. Uh, Tohu just laid down some ground rules. They're like, okay, Godzilla has to be created in a nuclear accident. Godzilla has to have three rows of dorsal spines. Godzilla has to have a long tail. Godzilla can't die at the end. Just, just regular stuff, nothing, nothing too weird. Besides that, Sony had carte blanche to do whatever they wanted. They, so it was gonna be a total remake. It wasn't gonna have anything to do with Japanese continuity. It was gonna be an American Godzilla movie. And everybody's super excited. There's, uh, you know, like Variety catches this and it was like, woohoo, my, you know, American studio is gonna make a Godzilla movie, it's gonna be great. So everybody's getting, everybody wants a piece of this action. So they start with a script, okay? And like all the big names, even Clive Barker, Okay, Books of Blood Horror. He submitted a story idea wow. for this. It would have been interesting. It would have been I don't know, amazing is the word. I, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, he would have made it Horrifying. sexual somehow. It's like, you know, well, you know but, um, so the script finally ends up with this writing partner, this writing duo, rather, these two partners, um, I forgot their first names. Uh, it was Elliot and Rossio, the guys who did uh, Aladdin at the time. They'd done Aladdin and a little turd called Little Monsters that had Howie Mandel in it. You guys remember that? Okay, uh. this is their street cred at the time. Now, since then, I think it's um, Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott. Am I, have I got that right? Sounds right. I think that's right, that's right. They have gone on. They wrote Shrek. They wrote all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. I mean, these guys are legit. Okay, and they're, they're sci-fi guys, so even though they, they, they really love it, they're, they're into it. Now, the first three or four times, Sony goes to them and say, hey guys, write this Godzilla movie. They said no, but finally they came around to the, the idea and they write this script. Okay, now this is the movie that would have happened instead of the Devlin Emmerich movie, all right? Roland Emmerich. So, it's Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich. Oh, I, see, I, was, I thought you were saying his first name. No, no, wrong. Dev, I'm like, sorry, Devlin and Emmerich. Devlin yeah. slash Emmerich. I see, okay. Right. I, I, think think point, I, get I totally like merged those names and it became like Devlin Emmerich or something like that. Yeah, right, right. In my no, That's why I was confused. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich. So, so, so much the, 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 the Independence like State guys. You'll know who like, you know, they are. All right. So, I'm gonna like, this is, I'm just gonna bullet point this thing, because it's very, like a lot of these other movies, it's very convoluted, but okay. Uh, scientists are, and you know that you've seen this one before, they're in a frozen wasteland and they find the frozen giant monster. Okay, we've all seen, yeah, that, that one works. That's totally stand. And it's Godzilla, and there's a nuclear accident, and Godzilla gets mutated and he wakes up. Okay, there we go. Fast forward to this, to, to an, you know, another part of the world, the hotbed of giant monster activity known as? Kentucky, exactly. And, <laughs> and, a, gi and a giant meteor falls down, and oh, I know this makes me sad too. The, the <laughs> giant meteor falls down, crashes in a lake, okay? Uh, but it's not a meteor. 
It's an alien probe that's kind of like this weird biomechanical thing, and it like it like kind of liquid metal Terminator 2 oozes out, and it goes into a cave, and it finds a bunch of, oh my gosh, uh, we're at 10 minutes, finds a bunch of bats, and, uh, and it absorbs the bats, and it mutates the bats, and they become probe bats. So you have a picture of a probe bat? And, and uh, you jump ahead. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pro yeah, bats. This is a pro, pro bats. <laughs> and the pro bats go out and they start capturing cattle and whatever animals they can find and people. And it's like capture and it takes them back to the cave and all these, all this genetic material gets absorbed into, uh, into this mass. Okay. And um, the mass turns into this giant monster called Griffin who's kind of this like cougar snake bat monster. And it's like totally awesome, all right? And um, yeah, we're short on time, so it's like, so anyway, uh, the two monsters uh, come out and uh, the two monsters sense each other and so they converge on New York City and they have this big battle where Godzilla literally tears Griffin apart. Like in the script, he like rips his head off and just like, like, I can't think of any other movie where Godzilla did a number on a monster. Like, he just tears apart Griffin at the end of this movie. And um, so Godzilla starts as this unstoppable force and ends the movie as Defender of the Earth. Kind of like the legendary, you know, it's, you know that, that kind of thing. It took Toho four movies to get to this point. Uh, Elliot and Rossio do it in one movie. Okay. So everybody's, everybody's excited about this script. So they start talking about directors. And they talk to, there's this long list here, they talk to Joe Dante, they talk to James Cameron, they talk to Tim Burton, they talk to Terry Gilliam, they talk to Joe Johnston, the guy who went on to do Captain America, the first Avenger. They talk to everybody. The Coen brothers, explain that one. You know, they, they, <laughs> they talk to every director in town. Finally, they talk to Jan de Bont the guy who at the time had just finished doing Speed with Sandra Bullock and Dennis Hopper and Keanu Reeves, okay? Speed, huge, huge hit. Jan de Bont, huge, huge Godzilla fan. Match made in heaven. Everybody's excited. They, they start charging forward. De Bont is like, we want this to be top of the line. We're talking to Stan Winston. We're talking to ILM. They, Stan Winston did all these like maquettes and things that you're, you're seeing on the screen here, okay? Everybody is excited. Jan de Bont goes to Sony, says, so okay, we're ready to go, $130 million. All right, the year before, Jurassic Park had just come out, price tag on that, $63 million. Okay, so Jan de Bont wanted more than twice what it cost Jurassic Park to me. Sony said no, okay, and they said no for a bunch of reasons, a lot of them having nothing to do with Jan de Bont. They were in a lot of, they were in trouble with the SEC for securities fraud. They had had a string of turds like Last Action Hero and City Slickers 2, and they put a bullet in it. And Jan de Bont's like, okay, I'm out. And he goes back to his, he had a contract with studio, with the 20th Century Fox. They let him out for this. And uh, he goes back to that, and in the meantime, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich walk in and they say, hey, we'll do it for 60. And Sony says, great. And that movie ends up costing $150 million. Oh, damn. So you got that movie instead of the Yandaba one. 
Boom. Womp womp. <laughs> All right, so we're going to hurry through some stuff here. Uh, that movie that Dave just brought up, the 1998, ignore what's on the screen, Godzilla movie. See, this is like the only movie I haven't re- memorized the date for. Uh, it sold 3.9 million tickets in Japan. Did pretty well, but it sort of did well around the world. It was just critically not received very well, right? People didn't awful. like it. Because it was bad. So, but Toho, at that time, they weren't just sitting back and doing nothing. They were continuing to work on their tokusatsu films. They made three Mothra movies. Uh, the 96, we call them Rebirth of Mothra here in the United States for some weird reason. Because people don't like saying Mothra 2, Battle Under the Deep Sea, I guess. But, so they made these three movies. And then, apparently, that was enough time for them. And they brought back... In uh, 1999, they brought back Godzilla in a big way for Godzilla Millennium, which we call Godzilla 2000 here. Mega Gearus, then GMK, then Tokyo, uh, then Mecha Godzilla, Tokyo SOS, and uh, Final Wars. And the numbers on those just kept going down. Like it's very similar to the 70s. And so by the end of the Millennium series, Toho's just kind of like, "Yep, I think we're done here, guys." So uh, when Final Wars performed almost as bad as a 1970s Godzilla film, wow. like the worst Godzilla films and uh, per, you know performance-wise, they definitely like put the kibosh on the series. And uh, the the producer Shogo Tomiyama basically said, Godzilla will return when someone can appropriately breathe fresh new life into the series. Uh, and so, basically, nothing seemed like it was happening, but there was one man who was still trying to make Godzilla happen. And we have a little bit of time that Gretchen can share about it with us. Yeah, I have to put these on appropriately because it is a 3D film. It is Godzilla versus Deathla to the max. <laughs> it was a small, tiny film they were trying to do that was going to be a um, IMAX film. Wow, I cannot wear these. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was going to be an IMAX film, and it was the craziest. There's two plots. One was a, we, it's a Hedorah-type monster, because guess what? Banos on it. <laughs> and so it was like the whole idea was that it was going to be... Um, I'm sorry, I'm like, done. Sorry, guys, you don't get to hear about the Max film, but maybe on the podcast. Is that it? Are we out? Yeah, we got it done. No, all right. right. Time. There's too much... Too much awesomeness to, to share. We didn't even get to talk about Batman meets Godzilla. <laughs> I had it all prepared, guys. I know, we should have led with that, right? Anyway, uh-huh. uh, we Will, we got to go. Podcast. That's our time. Thank you so much for coming out to this. Uh, we appreciate you being here. If you have not checked out the Kaiju Cast, please stop by table E05 in Artist Alley, and I will be there with Keith Foster, who writes Kodoja, and uh, I'd love to talk to you about Giant Monsters. Thanks, guys. Hey, thank you. I love Shin Godzilla. So, Gretchen, you kind of got the short end of the stick there, and I really wanted to ask you a little bit more about Godzilla 3D to the max. Especially yeah. since you were such a Hedra fan. I know. Well, first of all, we should set the stage for everybody that everybody should know that I put on 3D glasses at this point and then realized I couldn't see out of them, which I'm sure you can hear from the recording. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, it was hard to see out of them. It was like basically cross-eyed at that point. Yeah, let's all pretend that we're wearing them right now without having to wear glasses. the actual glasses. 
(laughs) (laughs) What I started off with saying is that this, we talked about Bano earlier in the panel and this kind of brings all that back. Like the screenplay is by Bano and that was the, the proposed, he was the proposed director for it. Him and Keith Milton. I find it interesting that uh, that this is what they brought to America, too. Yeah. Well, what's funny is, like, the story is, like, so the story is about a space-based pollution monster named Deathla. I'm going to use quotation marks. Um, and it goes to Earth, and it awakens Godzilla behind the Igasu Falls in South America. And then it ends up this whole battle between Godzilla and his this creature's various forms. So it's another morphing creature like like Hedra. It's basically right. another it's basically well, I mean, another like, Hedra. Hedra had the spaceship form and it also does that as well. But it's it's got a few forms. It calls itself a there's a locust form and then the the death form, which is like a skull and it kind of stands upright. So I looked up Deathla before the panel, right? Because you when we were talking about putting stuff up for the panel so so that people could see what the creature designs looked like from these unmade productions. Uh, I remember we were talking about Deathla, and unfortunately, everything that's out there is just fan art. They never produced anything. But some of that fan art looks super cool. There was one that had, like, it had a very Hedra-like head, but he had these massive, like, huge, huge clawed hands, like, almost as if Orga had grown some more fingers and... uh, and everything, he was just red, like a really, really red kaiju. It was super cool looking. That might be the final form because there's like, well, he has a mushroom form. Yeah, I'm confused. <laughs> well, there's a lot of forms. That's cool. Right. Like, that's cool. And I think it's it's awesome that, uh, that <laughs> I think it's awesome <laughs> that Bano brought this film idea to America well, and was able to actually get somebody that was interested, right? Like that's sort of what it seems like everybody has issues getting a studio interested in his, in this picture or this idea, because it wasn't really a movie, right? It was just for the, no, it was, the idea was that it was going to be, um, that he was happy to be on the project again because he was considered never going to have another Godzilla film. Like that was it. Hedora was supposed to be as it, that was it. And then he managed to talk them into doing this because it was going to be an IMAX release, but it was never going to be recognized as a Godzilla, like it's not the 29th Godzilla film. Do you remember the, what the proposed runtime was for this? 40 minutes with a budget of like 9 million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think that doesn't even count as a feature film. The length, the length of a feature film. I was thinking it was cool. Like, is it going to be, was it proposed to be, like the kind of IMAX ride type things that you get at, you know, sometimes when you go to those little OMSI type museums or whatever um, science and industry museums, they have those little rides right, that are yeah. that rock side to side and you tilt forward. And you're like, Oh, I'm falling in. <laughs> I don't like, know. I figure it's going to be, at? I figure it was going to be like a, uh, like any movie you'd go see in the OMSI, so for the listeners, OMSI is our Oregon Museum Science, Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. And they have an IMAX screen, like a true IMAX screen, I think. It's huge. And I cannot imagine actually going to see a movie in there, but I know people go see like big, oh, big yeah. movies. 
I definitely know people went to go see some of the Star Wars movies in that IMAX theater. I saw like an underwater one and it made me like really seasick. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. So I, that's where I'm assuming these were meant to be played. This, this, uh, de- the Deathla 3D to the Max movie that, uh, to the uh, 3D to the IMAX movie <laughs> that, right. uh, that Bano was proposing. So we have to think about this. It's like 2005's um, 3D technology and these only got $9 million put into it. Yeah, you know what's yeah. funny about this? If I mean, just to place myself in this timeline, because all of the other movies, pretty much before Matthew Broderick's movie, right? So any any of these other films that we talked, or film you know concepts that we talked about earlier in the panel, all of that stuff took place before I was aware of kaiju films, really, and now that I am where I, not only where I am right now, right? So this was 2004 and 2005, like right after Final Wars, I was like neck deep in kaiju stuff. I was like really involved in the fandom. I was the webmaster of Henshin Online at the time. I had already done the Shrine of Gamera. So I had like, I had my finger on the pulse of the giant monster landscape, I guess you could say. But really being there to hear this happen it was like are you kidding me bano is back what are you talking about well it's, it looks like it was supposed to be kind of like um he was hoping it was going to be it's like hedora 2 is what he was thinking yeah well i could tell you as a spectator alone it's and as someone who feels like like i just said like i'm not joking about the finger on the pulse of the kaiju landscape stuff but because i was working with henshin online i was getting a lot of news and I, just at the time, I still think, well, this is never going to happen. <laughs> he's he's trying to pitch a Godzilla versus Hedra movie to America. And on top of that, like the fact that it was going to be this creature of Deathla, Hedora, whatever the case may be, was going to be like injuring the new 9-11 monument is like, oh, no, too soon. <laughs> yeah. So basically, I thought that was never going to happen. And then it was, you know, many years later that I heard that he was, you know, finally involved with legendary pictures and he was going to be part of the, I mean, he was going to be part of it. I have no idea how far into the process he actually was involved, but bringing this new legendary pictures Godzilla to life, he was definitely instrumental just in being part of that gateway. Yeah. Although, although maybe not like... <laughs> I don't know if they he was required. Like, I think they could have fi- found somebody else, too. But it's almost this, like, serendipitous. Like, really? You're the guy that directed Godzilla vs. Hedra? I love that that movie. My name's Thomas Tull. I run Legendary Pictures. You want to be my bro? Let's do a Godzilla movie together. That's totally <laughs> how I imagine it going down. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so without this, I think... It's kind of safe to say we wouldn't have had the uh, at least the interest from uh, legendary pictures that they would have had if somebody else was trying to pitch a Godzilla movie or if they just were going from scratch trying to get the license to it. Yeah, this actually brings it back to the whole groove thing, right? Like so Godzilla, we were going through the um, (laughs) we're going through the Millennium series looking at those numbers and then it dropped off, and then we're in this groove, the, the last groove of the Godzilla series, essentially. It started, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it began at the end of Final Wars, and then 
through those years, you know, we finally got uh, an American Godzilla movie that a lot of people do seem to really like. And then following up with that, Toho was like, sweet, let's do a Godzilla movie. So now they're back out of the groove. And so in terms of closing out the panel and uh, giving you all some some much needed closure as well. This, <laughs> this we gr- needed closure. I, I think we did for sure, especially you, uh, Gretchen. Not be- like when they cut when you they cut you off. I felt so bad for you. Anyway, so finishing out the panel. This is we're in the very beginning stages of this next hump of Godzilla movies. We've got you know the legendary picture happened in 2014. Shin Godzilla happened in 2016. 2017, we saw the first anime film. 2018, we saw two. Well, actually, we've seen one. One's coming up soon uh, for the anime film, finishing that out. And then we've got, yeah, with the third one. And then we've got the next legendary picture, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Thanks for the stupid name. But uh, that's coming out in 2019. And then they are still saying that in 2020, Godzilla versus King Kong is going to happen. So... We shall see. I mean, and then after that, we know Toho is champing at the bit to get their hands back on the live action thing. So let me ask you. So Shin was not really supposed to happen, right? Because according to contract, they weren't supposed to make another Godzilla film, right? Yeah, I think that's the deal. The the weird thing, to be 100% honest, is that sounds like either shady on Toho's Mm -hmm. part or stupid on Toho's part. Like, oh, we didn't know we couldn't make a Godzilla movie live action. Sorry. Now, let's say, hypothetically speaking, that they actually, let's totally take this hypothetical and say that Legendary Pictures straight up scolded Toho. And like, let's, mm-hmm. let's say for the sake of argument that they were like, yo, our agreement says absolutely no you cannot do this. And if you even attempt to do this again, we're going to slap you with a licensing restriction. I don't know. I'm making stuff up, right? But, yeah. you know, if something, if they, did they get in trouble? I just wish I knew. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just curious because I, I mean, I know there was some per agreement type thing, but that aside, I mean, it was just kind of funny to think about the fact that that could easily, I mean, as far as like stories are concerned, that could easily be Godzilla to the max. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're already at Godzilla to the max right now. <laughs> we are in God's what a resurgence, right? Of Godzilla stuff. We're, I mean, good lord, the fact I mean, that we have our so kids are much happening. Godzilla's. Just think about it that way. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I want this this crazy Godzilla franchise to continue. Right. And I want it to continue in ways that make sense in ways that make good movies. And let me <laughs> sound old as hell. If there are a bunch of young people that are like, Oh my Get gosh, the anime film is so great. Then I'm just going to back off and say, okay, you got it. It's all you. I just oh, haven't. Man. I just wanted to have a better budget. Well, here's what I think I would really like to see for the future, even though that's not really part of the you there in the audience. Thank you for asking me that question. Uh, so the <laughs> <laughs> what I would like to see in the future is Legendary does their films, right? And even though I know Toho is not going to do this, 
because we're in 2018 right now. In 2019, I want them to make a kaiju film. I want them to make a brand new Daikaiju Varan or a brand new Mysterians movie, something like that. I I want them to go back to the well, but for things that they have not done again. Like we don't need another Mothra. Good Lord, nah. Nah, Mothra. Yes, I just want Toho to do something new, but with characters we've seen before, but not the characters we've seen a billion times. I don't really think, I don't really think it's that hard, but, uh, you know, maybe Toho will actually surprise me someday and do that. Gabra will get his own film. <laughs> or what is this, Gabora? No, yeah. no, you had it right. Yeah, yeah. Gabra. Gab- <laughs> yeah, Gabra will get his own film. Gabra... Honestly, if they brought Gabber back, I would say, what the hell? But I would laugh so hard. <laughs> I would I would enjoy it more than them bringing back Mothra again. Yes. There were a number of monsters that they brought back for Final Wars, but they were just wasted. Okay, that is a topic I don't need to get on right oh, now. Oh, yeah, that's us. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and close out this episode. Bef- oh, no, wait. There's one more thing I want to make sure that I share with the listeners. And that's that all of this sort of cool information that came out about these unmade projects, all of this stuff was sort of plumbed from the depths of online fandom, but also from a book by John LeMay called The Big Book of Japanese Giant Monster Movies, The Lost Films. I'll have a link in the show notes to that and also to an event that you should know about that Gretchen has actually been taking part in, the HP Lovecraft Film Festival happening here in Portland, Oregon from October 5th through October 7th, and I'm just going to let the uh, Kickstarter campaign video speak for itself. Hi, I'm Andrew Migliori. I'm the founder of the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. And I'm Gwen Callahan. And I'm Brian Callahan. We're the current directors of the fest. And we're standing here today on the lovely Innsmouth Shore to welcome you to this year's event. Guys, I'm super excited about this year because look at all the sacrifices we bought. We're cosmic horror fans just like you. So without Kickstarter, it would be impossible for us to afford to host an event like this. And just like these pillars behind us that are holding up this bridge, we're looking for you to support the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. We use the funds to pay for all of our upfront expenses and make it a more fun and immersive experience for you. This year's guest of honor is Chiaki J. Konaka, the screenwriter of Maribito, Ultraman Tiga, and The Shadow Over Innsmouth. We're also celebrating 125 years of Clark Ashton Smith. To help us do that, we're bringing out our good friend Richard Stanley, the director of Mother of Toads. And we have a very special treat for you, a performance by the Lovecraftian Japanese idol band Necronami Doll. So this year, we're rolling back the clock to 1928. What happened in 1928? Well, that was the year the U.S. government raided Innsmouth, Massachusetts. Oh, right. And this year's rewards include artifacts uncovered out of the ruins of Innsmouth. As well as cultural items brought back from the South Pacific by the heroic Captain Oban Marsh. This year's VIP party is a night in Yanavlay. So join us to indulge in some tasty rum drinks, delicacies from the South Pacific, and the musical stylings of the Wallachias and Portland's own Tony Starlin. 
So we hope you'll make an offering and come join us. For the 23rd annual HP Lovecraft Film Festival. At the historic Hollywood Theater in Portland, Oregon. It may, it may not be in but it's the next best thing. The campaign actually ends tomorrow, so don't feel bad if you can't get in on it. They've already gone 245% over their funding, so that's pretty rad. Uh, if you want more information, I will have a link in the show notes to the Lovecraft Film Festival website. The thing that I really wanted to hammer home here is that their guest of honor is screenwriter and author Chiaki J. Konaka. And that name may not be familiar to you, but he wrote some Ultraman stuff, including some Ultra Q Dark Fantasy. So I'm sharing this information out there, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to speak with Konaka-san about his work with Tsuburaya. Anyway... The 2018 HP Lovecraft Film Festival takes place from Friday, October 5th to Sunday, October 7th, 2018. You can buy tickets online at hplfilmfestival.com. And then I'll also include a link to that Kickstarter campaign just so you can check it out anyway. Now, having said that, I think that is the perfect time for us to end this entire episode with a song I literally just found on the internet recently. And uh, I'll start using my DJ voice right now to close this episode with the 5678's Mothra. We'll see you for the next episode. Jamata. Jamata.